0: That's why I often say to people, you know, you gotta, you gotta listen for opportunities because you don't know what's next when things come up. It's like, pay attention. There's a reason they're there.
1: Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co host, AJ
2: Meyer. And I am your other co host, Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 262, the first episode of 2017 and what we are calling season 14 of Inside Acting, AJ sits down with prolific LA casting director Michael Donovan. Now, Michael is someone we've wanted to get on this show for a very long time long time now. I know you've been working on this for a while, AJ, so I'm stoked. Uh, If you guys listening are at all interested in getting involved in the L.A. theater scene, Michael Donovan is most assuredly a name to know. In part one, AJ and Michael discuss Michael's journey to a career in casting, his instinct and belief that this was a job he could do and do really, really well, and the variety of things that happen both in front of and Behind the table and the camera in the audition room, this is stuff that's going to support every actor listening in getting their head right for their next audition. I mean, I mean, uh, meeting, meeting. <laughs>
1: Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. And it's now available in the iTunes app store. So if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character and make stronger choices, make specific choices. We talk about that in the interview later on in this episode and do a whole lot more. Go to rehearsal.pro IAP right now to learn all about the great new features in the new version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's Rehearsal.pro slash I-A-P.
2: Happy New Year, Ajmijer. (laughs) 2017, man, this is craziness.
1: You're like I don't believe it. I, no,
2: I kind of I kind of don't. I mean, time. Give me a time machine. T- time speeds up the older you get because you have a larger sort of context with which to sort of slot time into your experience of life, and it's just it's just a little obscene sometimes how quickly it moves. Uh, how are you?
1: I like the choice of the word obscene.
2: It, it obscene. A good one. <laughs> not not a word I chose lately.
1: I'm doing well. I, I I am using. I don't really believe in New Year's resolutions. Uh, I never really have. I may have said that on an uh, older podcast, but I am instead using the transition from one year to the next as a sort of portal through which, you know, as I walk through it, I'm re-upping on, you know, uh, commitments that I made in 2016, like with my meditation practice and you know, using plant nanny again, and you know getting back to some of these kinds of things, and also, what an amazing time to start and I know we're gonna talk about this, but what an amazing time to start the artist' way yeah which uh, we we just did in the membership i'm 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 being gentle with myself, I've made some pretty challenging but epic decisions uh, regarding my personal life that are going to. Hopefully support me and moving forward I'm very excited about my myself as an artist this year
2: yeah awesome Julia Cameron says something to the effect of, of treating yourself like a precious something or other uh, in the artists way I can't remember the exact s- sentence but it's uh, you, you we make ourselves strong by being gentle or something like that with ourselves and I, I love that sentiment Uh, So this is a great time to plug uh, what's going on in the membership. I am so stoked about this because Grace Gordon, a longtime listener, member, supporter, she's got a podcast called the Book John Podcast. She's from Philly, so she's representing my hometown. And she uh, basically is leading us as a community through The Artist's Way by encouraging us to post uh, at least twice weekly and just creating a space for us to commune and share our experience going through this together, which is great because The Artist's Way is inherently a very personal, specifically personal process and journey. And yet having a support system or some sort of community in which to – Julie Cameron calls them creative clusters. I love that. But having, something, having a creative cluster in which to uh, experience this uh, as well when you're ready to sort of reach out and be social about it, and, and I think that's absolutely an essential part of it, is so huge. So if you are a member, hop into the membership. Check out the, uh, R- the Inside Acting Creative Cluster Artist's Way. It's okay if you don't have the book yet or if you haven't started yet. This is more – it's not about, as we talked about, doing it perfectly. It's just about doing it. It's just about leaning into awareness, leaning into intention and mindfulness and starting to notice and really experience the texture of life. And I can say, having just recently completed it, and I'm going to go through it again, because one of the things that Julia Cameron recommends at the end of the book is turning right around and doing the course again. Uh, I'm going to do it again, and I, I'm, I'm excited because my experience has been that it definitely just tunes you in to all the small little moments that that you might otherwise miss living your life. And it's, it's been absolutely magical for me. And so I'm really excited to go through it again with our community of, of members and listeners, and uh, I'm really excited uh, to do it with you, AJ, and to have lots of people join us in, in, in just creating deep, meaningful Uh, you know experiential work of substance no matter how simple or uh, trivial it seems it's it's real because it's our experience and sharing that is what makes this world uh, a, a wonderful place to live so tell me a little bit about this this thing that you've put on the outline here just catching up uh making the choice you're scared of
1: yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's what I was just referring to when I talked about, you know, making choices in my personal life that are opening up spaces for, you know, uh, my creativity, so to speak. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to refrain from specificities to protect uh, people's privacy. But, you know, we've talked about on the podcast before, and I think you've been really great about this, Trevor. If you know that you're afraid of something, maybe that's the maybe maybe moving in that direction is exactly what you need. There was this moment in the last couple of days <clears throat> where I suddenly realized what I was really afraid of was to make this particular choice. And as soon as I thought to myself, you know what, I think that's the choice that I have to make, everything made sense. It all fell into place. It all made sense. And it was all like, wow, OK, I get it. Like, this is where, you know, I, I should have gotten to maybe a few weeks ago or whatever, but everything happens in perfect time. And I I just want to encourage people, especially with the turning of the year and I don't know, whatever it is that you're up to right now in your life, if there's something that you're afraid of, explore what it might be like to actually take that on and and make that choice and and really do it. it. It might be really, really challenging to make that choice, but there might be um, some amazing stuff on the other side of it. Yeah. You know,
2: you know, what's coming up for me listening to you say that is, is the idea that, uh, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Something we've talked about on the show quite a bit. And, mm-hmm. and for those of you listening who maybe be like, what the idea is that like, you can't show up and be in excellence in one area of your life Without it affecting the other areas of your life, like for instance, that's why, that's why I think most, some of us really admire people who are in great shape because it's not like the aesthetic results of, of having a consistent like workout and diet program that, that benefits your health. It's more about like what it takes from a character point of view to achieve that. At least that's that's the way I see it. And so hearing you talk about, you know, facing your fears, like the things that scare you and saying, you know what, maybe that's something I need to lean into and make happen in my life, just need to – in order to grow, Uh, I'm wondering how this will – influence how you show up in your meetings and auditions and how you show up in your rehearsals and on stage and in front of the camera. I mean, this is, this, it's, it's hard to fake something in your life or be avoiding something in your life and then show up authentically in your, your creative work.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a, I mean, this is your word, right? For 2017 is a vulnerability to it. Yeah,
2: yeah. It
1: takes a lot of vulnerability to make those kinds of choices and then to, to just live in a being of like, okay, here's what life is like after I've made that choice. I, uh, you know, I'll talk about, <clears throat> I'm going to give away my pick of the week here, but I was watching Ryan Gosling on screen. I was like, you know, what makes him so damn successful is his, his vulnerability. I, I, I just took that beingness out of the movie theater with me and, 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 and throughout my life just for those, you know, day or two afterwards and was just feeling like a different person. And you know, hey, that's what great art does. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I imagine that this is in some I'm I'm not trying to force a segue here, but I'm looking at what you wrote in the outline. I'm imagining there's some kind of connection with what you wrote here about dealing with endings with you know, I'm I'm guessing you're referring to possibly the end of the year, but also if there's something else, you know.
2: Yeah. Uh 2016 was a doozy, man. You know, a lot of people were, were, uh, you know, I was catching people on social media and and on blogs and things saying like, God damn, like fucking 2016, man. Are you kidding me? Like the hits just kept on coming. And I I was, you know, I'm a pretty, or at least I like to practice optimism. I I don't see myself as somebody who's constantly looking for the bad stuff. So I was kind of like, okay, people like settle down. A lot of good things happened in 2016. But as the weeks went on and like we ticked down to the clock, you know, ticking over to midnight to bring us into 2017, it, it, I almost like experienced like an acceleration of like shitty things happening. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of compounding. You know, I went back to Philly. I had such a great time with my family. I just completely unplugged and was just present with them and just experienced a gratitude and, and a love for my family that I've just, have never experienced before. And coming back to LA was kind of difficult this year. Like I really was, it was a tough transition. And then I came back and I got the news that my other grandmother had suffered a, a, a stroke and there was no chance for recovery. And she, you know, she had a very short time left to, to live and, and it was just sort of back and forth on the phone with family. Uh, and, and she passed away on New Year's Eve and, Oh my gosh. And it was like, yeah, it was like just squeezing one more in there, man, like just just in case this year wasn't bad enough, just squeezing one more in there right before the right before the deadline. So that was tough, you know, and I was, you know, in this newfound awareness, I'm finding I'm finding myself really feeling and exploring what endings mean and how I cope with endings and and transitions in my life. You know, this was the year that I consciously made a choice to sort of really pull back on pressing forward with my acting career, my on stage and on camera acting career. As I've said, it's not something I'm leaving completely. I don't know what next week or next month or next year is gonna hold. I, I'm definitely keeping the door open. But I'm not pressing forward with it. But but owning that transition has been huge for me. And now with this sort of new awareness that the art that the Morning Pages and the Headspace meditations have engendered, I'm I'm moving forward into the sadness of transition and dealing with endings and also the excitement and the possibilities and and all that that entails, and it boils down to really one sort of key lesson. Which now that I'm speaking this out loud, it sounds disjointed, but it somehow it's connected in my brain. And that's that mood always follows action. It's easy to sort of get swept up in the emotion of a of a moment and say, you know, I, wow, that's really affecting me, and I want to do what I feel like doing right now. And of course, there's a lot of value in in doing what you feel like doing and honoring, you know, your Emotional desires and urges, but at the same time, if you know, you've got to do something and this plays into what you were talking about, AJ, uh, and you don't want to do it, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. (laughs) Mm. Resistance, resistance can be feedback, but it can also be a cunning motherfucker. And you just need to sometimes set a timer for 10 minutes Start doing that thing, whether it's a phone call or whether it's just sitting down and staring at or laying down, staring at the ceiling, and dealing with the emotions you've been avoiding, whatever it is doing that and so often the mood that you were seeking, the freedom that you were seeking on the other side of this thing uh, is what follows making yourself do it and I think that that is a key tenant a uh, key tenet rather of of successful people is that they 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 understand that. You have to do the thing to have the power, as Jeff, as uh, what's his face, who wrote uh, the Slight Edge, would say. You got to do the thing to have the power. It's not the other way around. You don't have the power, and then you go can do anything. You have to sort of man up first, and do it first, and then the freedom is on the other side. And it, uh, it, it that's been a, a sort of key lesson that I've that I sort of gleaned in that those final hours of of 2016, dealing with yet another sort of tragedy. Uh, and this one you know hitting very close to home, I lost both my grandmothers in two thousand and sixteen. It was just one of those things where i was like wow where where 's the lesson in this like I know it's, you know it 's the cycle of life you can 't avoid people dying, but what what can I glean from this because this sucks <laughs> you know so that 's kind of what, I, what what i came out came out of it with, and just putting it into the context of all the of all the things that I faced this year that I was avoiding the unpleasantness. Um, I realized that that mood follows action.
1: Wow. Uh, uh, well, first of all, I'm sorry. Uh, my condolences Thanks. for your for grandma. I mean, I I hate that our listeners are probably like, are these guys actually friends? Because I'm finding out, you know, as we record, <laughs> well, it just happened,
2: uh, like, you <clears> know, like two, 48 hours ago. So
1: right, right. Um, so um, my condolences. Thank you. Uh, much love to you and your and your family. Um, and of course, leave it to you, leave it to Trevor Algett to and, and immediately take the grief and the, and the impact and be like, okay, what am, what is, what am I, what am I supposed to be learning right now? <laughs> like, of course you would do that. And thank God for that too. Like, I thank, thank God we have somebody on, a, you know, that you're here on this podcast and that we have these types of conversations and, and we have a couple of listeners, one or two out there in the world. And we have somebody like with your sensibilities that can synthesize things in that way. I don't know. I think that there have been plenty of life lessons to be had from things that we have gone through, uh, either I've gone through it or you've gone through it or a listener's gone through it or a guest has gone through it. Um, and and we have somebody with your with that ability. That's a that's a unique skill set, my friend, and, and one that I that I. I know that you take sort of full advantage of in your, in your life. And um, I don't know. I'm personally, I'm really grateful for it and I hope you are too.
2: Thank you, man. Thank you very much. That, that means a lot. Uh, I do want to just clarify one point and that's that I, I don't think it's necessarily bad to experience shitty emotions and, and feelings and difficulties in life. No, I think sometimes at all. that's where the most beautiful art comes from. It's just, it's just saying I give up and you let the d- depression and the misery wash over you and just e- engulf you. Sometimes, like that's that's just part of life. You can't avoid that. You know, the funk will get you, eh, no matter what. Like you, you, you can't. You're not. Nobody's invincible to that. And and sometimes you, you just need to feel it. And but I think that just as much as you can, having that perspective of that within, you know, Napoleon Hill says it. I'm quoting everybody today. Napoleon Hill says uh, within every adversity is the seed of an equal or greater opportunity. And I try to see it that way. I mean, I have two people inside of me that I'm very aware of. And one of them loves misery and he loves to, to be the victim. And he loves to mope and, and garner attention from people by being a pitiful person. And the other part of me, And this is like an even 50-50. They are perfectly matched. The other part of me is like the very resilient, like bouncy, entrepreneur, like idea-filled opportunity, like every day, like the sun is always shining above the clouds kind of guy. And most of the time that guy wins. But uh, a lot of the times the other dude just like comes in and bitch slaps that guy and it's like, it's my turn. (laughs) And he just lays all his stinky (laughs) shit around and then that's just the way I am for a couple of days and... It's just a practice and an awareness and not making any of it wrong or right or weak or strong. Um, but thank you for saying that because that's, that's something that I, I do kind of look at and say, man, I'm so glad that I I have that sort of in me to to look at a situation like this and not get swept away at least for too long.
1: The other thing I was going to say is you really got to read Dark Knights of the Soul, man. <laughs> like You've got to put that like at the top of your you know, list because that's what it's all about. It's like the whole point of that book is to like understand that, you know, these types of things are not obstacles to happiness. They just are. And we get to experience them and we get to dive deeply into them and we get to, you know, you even said it generate even art gets generated from that. So anyway, (laughs) go read that book. Every time – it's one of those books where like you read through it and like every sentence hit, like, hits you in the gut. <laughs> you're just, like, I can't – you're like sweating after, after, yeah. after a couple of chapters. You're like, I got I to gotta put it down and come back to it. But the other thing too is it's, it's a practice too. There, there, you know, I'll read a chapter or two and then I'll, I'll experience myself practicing it in my life for a day, two days, a week, whatever it is and I'll come back. And read the next chapter or two or whatever and and then continue to practice so I'm actually really and I'm reading other stuff at the same time so I'm actually really enjoying the pace with which I'm going through the book and then and then creating stuff from it
2: awesome that's cool man all right well that's on the top of my list then done Well, do we have time for this uh, this question from um, Colin? What do you think?
1: Uh, I mean, I think we can. It's been so long. I feel like we should just, you know, uh, answer it as quickly as possible, and right. um, maybe point him in the direction of some some resources. I mean, we, you and I, Googled it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is a question we've we've responded to in the podcast a few times in the past, but strangely enough, I've I've still don't feel clear on it. And so Colin's question is essentially, if you boil it down to the the basics, it's essentially FICOR versus being a full paid-up SAG-AFTRA member. So the union, he says, Colin says this, says the union talks about FICOR as if it's the worst possible thing in the world. But for him and many people listening, I'm sure, it seems like a really good option given the circumstances. So what are our thoughts? And I, I, I kind of asked you, AJ, before we started recording, I was like uh, what's FICOR again? <laughs> and you were like, uh, we can ask some people. <laughs> so it's the kind of thing where it's like, let's, let's clear this up. Let's give a sort of nuggetized definition and, and point to people in some, in the direction of some resources. So I know you've got, I think you have them at the ready, AJ. Yeah.
1: I, 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 all, I ha- yeah, I have what I Googled and, and my, and my sort of basic understanding too. I know like Jen, our production coordinator, is probably listening to this going, ah, let me add him, because she's going to know a lot about it. And Ben Whitehair, who's very involved in the union, is going to know a lot about it. My understanding has always been that, like, it gives you the ability to work as a union member without actually being a full member of the union. So you, like, pay the dues, but you somehow – there's like this – you're like in limbo, where you're somehow able to, to work – you can work on I, – I know this for a fact. You can work on non-union projects. You can work on union projects. You can actually gain health and pension benefits if you work enough uh, union jobs, uh, but you're not technically a union member, so you can imagine why someone from uh, sag after would not – or the, the entire union would not want this. They would not want their members or uh, non-members – they would not want people to, to be FICOR essentially. There is actually um, – one of the blogs that I found when I Googled it uh, says that there's a person at every office whose job it is to talk you out of this decision. So they take it very, very seriously. Uh, Here's a quick list of the rights that you lose when you declare financial core. The right to vote in SAG elections, the right to hold a SAG office, the right to use iACTOR – the right to represent yourself as SAG on your resume or on the internet, so you cannot actually call yourself a union member if you're a FICOR. You can't have a SAG card. Uh, and the right to rejoin SAG without a – this is really intense – without a formal hearing and without repaying the initiation fee. Oh, shit. So it is like it, – it, it's a big decision and, and there's like – I mean, I don't know what that hearing is like or if it even still happens, but damn, like – Uh, That that would worry me as an actor who wants to have like a longer term career. Mm -hmm. That being said, coming back to what I to to Colin and his situation, I kind of tend to go with the mindset of doing sort of whatever it takes in one's career to make it work for you. I don't know what it's like to be in a minor market for an extended period of time. I've never done that before, Uh, you know. I was in the Bay Area for a little bit. Trev, you were in, you know, the Northeast for a little bit before moving out to Los Angeles. But who knows what it's like in those minor markets now? Maybe it's like, you know, something that like they have to do in order to make stuff work for them. That being said, I don't know what it what it would actually give you, um, other than to work on both non-union and union projects. I think that's probably the main thrust of the question or the main issue, the main hang up is like, I want to be able to work on both non-union and union projects. And this seems like the only way I can actually make that Mm. happen. Um, so if that's the case, like I kind of, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to say this as a union member, because I imagine that the party line is that I should, is that no, you should never be, you know, five core, but I'm also of the mindset like people got to do what they got to do. To build a career and make it work and all of that, and I don't know. You've you've been with the union longer than I have, Trev. So I'm wondering if you know if you have any sort of like uh, factual, like more knowledge based opinions about Collins' uh, question, or if you have any like emotional you know, response to it as well.
2: You know, I, I don't, I don't have a ton to offer, but I will say this, that going union, becoming a Sag after member, a paying, you know, paying dues member, uh, does denote and communicate to the larger community, casting directors, producers, fellow actors, agents, managers, uh, directors, filmmakers, writers, going union, communicates that you are a professional and that you're taking this seriously and that you're in this for the long haul, that you are a committed business person and artist. Going FICOR, I don't think, communicates that. I think going FICOR is sort of a a weird, mm, frowned upon by many and by basically everybody in the union, frowned upon sort of middle step. Uh, So I agree that like you got to do what you got to do. You got to make it work for yourself. and. Uh, I think that's important, an important mindset to have. You know, do whatever it takes, but at the same time you can turn that around turn that around and say, you know what, I gotta do whatever it takes to get into the union because that is my rightful place as a committed, lifelong professional actor. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at the Sag website. I just Googled you know, what does FICOR mean? And I came up with one of these these hits, and I'm looking at this, this page on SAGAFTR's website. It says, get the facts about Financial Core, and it's it's very anti-FICOR. It says it literally, the headline is, FICOR means you are quitting SAG-AFTRA, and uh, one of the, the bullet points says, FICOR uh, people are viewed as scabs or anti-union by SAG members, directors, and writers, most of whom also belong to entertainment unions. And then everything you mentioned as well. And it says, remember, if you're choosing Financial Core because you were asked to work on a non-union project, you're missing out on an opportunity for the union to organize the project for you and all sag After members. And so the union has so many benefits, and there's a lot of people that fight really, really hard to get you fair treatment, to get you rights, to get you lots of great perks and get you paid as a professional no matter what you do. And I think the faster you can get into the union, assuming that your your talent and skill set is up to par, the faster you can get in, the better. You, you can't lose being a part of the union if you are committed to this for the long haul. So I, I'm very staunchly in the pro union, uh, column, but, uh, that's also coming from a guy who doesn't know a ton about FICOR, but I've also just haven't needed to. Cause I just was like, it was never an option for me, even though it's an option. It's just, it doesn't seem like, a. if, if, if you're going to do whatever it takes, why not go all the way?
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, and you also said, you also said something about, you know, communicating to the entertainment industry at large that I am a serious, you know, I'm taking my career seriously. You can't communicate anything uh, if you're a FICOR because you can't put it. You can't put. You can't put it out there. You can't call yourself a union member. You can't put it on a resume. You can't put it on the internet. You can't do. You know. You can't market yourself as a union actor. So it's it's sort of the opposite, right, of what you were saying. So that's uh, some great points. Thanks for that.
2: Cool. Well, Colin, let us know if that helps and and let us know what you choose. I would really love to hear, like, maybe, you know, things about going FICOR or your situation is extremely specific and and we don't have the full picture and and that FICOR actually makes a lot of sense for you and people in your situation. I'd love to hear the other side of this. Obviously we're biased uh, in favor of, of being a uni member, but, um, I, I admit i don't have a full understanding of what it means to be five so
1: yeah we and we should also point out that five is not a sag after specific thing it actually applies to any union mm. out there okay. um so anyway just
2: another little tidbit there all right well there it is cool <laughs> uh, all right well let's jump into this uh, i'm really excited to hear this interview with michael donovan
1: yeah someone we've obviously wanted to have on the podcast for so long and we finally i finally got him to put his money where his mouth is and sit down i give him a hard time about it in the very first part of the interview so you'll hear that as well but um enjoy this guys and we'll, we'll catch you on the other side
3: Excited to be sitting here with someone who we have tried to get on the podcast <laughs> probably since year one. Oh, he never invited me, not once. And here we are, two hundred and fifty <laughs> some odd episodes later. Really? He claims that we never invited him on, which is not true. There's probably even audio evidence of me talking about you on the podcast. Well, I do bring you up actually because really? of, yeah, because we get a lot of questions about you know LA theater okay. and stuff like that. So anyway uh the uh, the irreplaceable Michael Donovan is here with us. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> but we usually like to start just at the beginning. Like um okay. you know it's it's very uh conversational, but we want to know, you know, your, what your journey was and I I'm familiar with it because yeah. of uh, how we met
0: at, at UCLA, but um, how did you get your start in this crazy
3: Business culture. Uh,
0: I went to a college in Vermont where I uh, did some acting and then uh, did a professional job right after that. And then my father said, real people don't become actors. And <laughs> <laughs> so I took a real job. Um, it sounds so absurd now. I was selling oh, estate planning and corporate oh pensions and all kinds of stuff like that. And I was good at it because I used my acting chops to... Be a good salesperson. And uh, and then a friend who I'd gone to college with said, um, there's this audition. Will you go with me? And I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, uh, sure. So on a lark, I went with her. And of course, I got the job and she didn't. Oh, my and God. I was like, uh-oh. And so um, I quit my rather lucrative job, um, much to the <laughs> shock of my boss at the time. They were offering me I mean they offered me a ton of money to stay and and I left to do a hundred and twenty five dollar a week children's theater job, I think oh is what my it was. Gosh. And um no regrets ever since. No regrets whatsoever. And um so that was in New York. And I was an actor in New York for I guess we were there for several years and about three or four years, and then um uh and I'd been to LA once before and kind of liked it and everybody said oh you're a great film and television type and I'm like okay sure Uh, I was booking a fair amount of theater in New York and then so we came out to LA and um, I've done a ton of theater as an actor (laughs) in LA (laughs) and so started doing theater and directing again I directed in New York too and um, I got involved with West Coast Ensemble I became president of that theater company it doesn't exist anymore but it was a, a very respected and critically acclaimed and all that stuff um, theater and I was directing a play and um a casting director came to see it Beth Holmes and she came backstage and said I love the direction uh would you be interested in directing casting sessions and I had no idea what she was talking about Mm. (laughs) but I'm like wait wait money I'm an actor (laughs) of course I'm interested and two days later she hired me and I'm like I was totally winging it the first day and um found that I loved it and it was commercials and uh, so that started becoming my survival job in between acting gigs and uh, and then um, Megan Foley who was Beth Partners partner at the time um, asked me to come on as her assistant but it was still flexible so I was still acting and then I was finding that I was at auditions thinking about what was going on at the casting office and gradually, that became mm. clear to me that that was where my priorities were starting to be. And so, um, then I Megan asked me to come on as her associate, and I said yes. And that was kind of where it started. So, mm. started in commercials. Um, I've cast about twelve hundred commercials now. And then, oh, yes. um, yeah. And then there was that big commercial strike in the late '90s somewhere, and all of a sudden it was like, hmm there aren't so many commercials to cast right now. <laughs> and by that point, um uh, I wasn't working with Megan anymore and uh, I was out on my own and, and then it was... uh um somebody asked me to cast uh, a play and that had never really occurred to me at that point. It was so bizarre. And I was like, okay. And then I always describe it like a locomotive on a fast track coming at me. This career just came at me and within... Like, a year or two, I was casting a ton of theater. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of where it's been. But the film and television stuff continued. It's, let's see, where we are. The numbers right now are crazy. They're like, uh, it's about 40 or 50 films and like a dozen series. And uh, I just passed. All at once or that, or cumulatively over, the, over Oh, cumulatively yeah. over the years. And, <laughs> and um, I'm at about 550 plays, something crazy like that uh-huh. over the years. Yeah. Wow! So it's great. I mean, I and I still direct when I have time, which isn't very often, but I I do. And you know, it's the acting thing. I'm often asked, "Do you miss it?" And it's like I, not really. <laughs> I, I mean, I you know when I left it behind, I left it behind comfortably. Um, you know, will I ever do it again? Who the hell knows? Yeah. You know, am I allowed to swear? I never Oh answer. yes. I am? Oh, excellent.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tre- Trevor, our co host, likes to say you can swear and you can make mom jokes if you want. Oh sweet. Yeah. So, we have uh, ex- explicit lyrics on the on iTunes just in case, you know, if there's any uh under eighteens listening. Sweet. Uh, just just so you know, yeah, there will be swearing.
0: Okay. So anyway, so I I, I don't know. Um but um I love what I do and uh i it's it's been really an amazing career that i didn't seek. Hmm. It sort of found me. So that's why i often say to people, you know, you got to you got to listen for opportunities cuz you don't know what's next, yeah. you know? And when things come up, it's like pay attention, there's a reason. They, yeah. They're there, you know? So
3: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I I wonder what maybe you maybe you have thought about this and and have an answer, or maybe you don't. But you were mentioning the the speeding train, the speeding locomotive nah. coming at you. Nah. Do you think that that had anything to do with a you sort of filling a void, a, a lack of of good theater casting directors in in Los Angeles? Because frankly, one of the reasons why your name gets mentioned on the podcast is because if if a listener, you know. Uh, sends in an email or, or, or calls in and, and asks, you know, in terms of, well, any question about Los Angeles theater. And it's something about, you know, who, who do I need to, to meet? What's, what's the landscape like? And I tend to say, look, there's like four, we talked about this the other yeah. night at the Boston yeah. court, there's like so four fair. or five main yep. theater casting directors here. And yep. if you have a relationship with them, which I do, I think I have a relationship with all of you. Mm-hmm. You're going to get, you know, called in for the stuff that you're working on if you're right for something. And, um, it's, it's so interesting to me that, that it, that it really has become this, um, this, this very small group of people doing most of the the Mm. theater in Los Angeles. Was it like that then? Is that why you think it came so fast and furious once you decided to jump into that?
0: I think it's always been a relatively (laughs) small group of people that did the theater, um, for me it's a it's a it's a bigger question though because i can remember being on a number of auditions thinking and this is not specifically theater this is you know whatever i was auditioning for as an actor and not any specific person but thinking why are we being treated like shit as actors? What do you have to treat us like that? We <laughs> know I'm very serious. Like, wh- <laughs> what? What? What doing. does it? What good does it do to intimidate or harass or whatever you want to call it the actor? I, I don't see how that helps the actor. I don't see it helps the casting director. It doesn't help the producer. I mean, the whole process. I, I, it makes no sense to me. So I remember thinking at some audition, can't somebody do this better? And I don't know if that's where it started. I thinking that, you know, um, that that's why I wanted to do this or. Um, so I don't think it was to, to fill a void like I felt, oh, I can step in and fill this void. I think that, that literally the career just came after me
3: yeah i didn't so, I didn't mean that necessarily you were trying to fill a void I meant like was there a void of good ca- theater casting oh. directors in Los Angeles and that's where when someone was like oh yeah this we need this yeah. and then you took on that job and then yeah. and it sort of just s- snowballed from that,
0: that well point. I, I do think that what there were there were casting directors for the major theaters uh I think that what there wasn't a lot of was necessarily casting directors for the smaller stuff mm-hmm. and I think and that's where I got started um and I continue to do some smaller theaters i, I believe in it um so I, I think that that is maybe where there wasn't i don't know if there was anybody and maybe that's maybe that's the hole that i filled in um and uh and, and i i found it very rewarding actually uh, to be able to do that so no i don't i don't think that i felt that there wasn't anybody good there were some really thinking back there were some really great people casting around that time um, but it was still Even then It was a, it was a very small group It's always been a small group It's always, yeah. been, a it's always group. been a small group Yeah Always Yeah uh, I mean Who is it now We got Phyllis Ring at the Gaffin We got Joanne Denoa South Coast Rep You've got uh, me You've got uh, Who am I missing now uh, Raul Staggs Raul Staggs um, um, Amy Amy uh, Lieberman And Oh Julia Flores Julia Flores yeah, uh,
3: so I've I've just so always been curious about you know what that what that's been
0: like just being a part of such a small. It's a small it's cool, event. you know. The the thing that's frustrating, and you and I've talked about this too, is that what I refer to as the genuflection to New York. It's like you know the, all the yeah. good talent is in New York. That's such bullshit. And and the, and the truth is that you know a lot of the people who are working in the theater, like you, have been on Broadway. or been you know in off Broadway shows. They've done a lot of theater in New York, mm-hmm. and and they they chose to be here. So why do we assume that the only the good talent is is in New York? I would agree there's a bigger pool in New York, but there's some really enormously talented people here. And so, and I also think that, um, and this is maybe off the subject for a moment, but what I think the way I got started was because I was coming from the commercial world. I had met all these marvelously talented actors who were doing commercials who weren't doing anything film television or theater wise and, and I was like why? you know so I'd be bringing people that they'd never met before and going wow this guy's amazing I think yeah he's of course he's done you know 27 commercials you just mm. for whatever reason haven't met him so I think that's kind of what we're experiencing now is that the days of where you were just a commercial actor just a film t- actor just a theater actor just a television that's all blended now so I think there were a lot of terrific actors with theater experience from New York who've chosen to be here to do more film and television as well so they're all available to me so or to to choose from so I think this is a terrific market to pull people from so
3: yeah awesome well thank you for doing it yeah (laughs) as Uh, someone who has been cast in
0: your projects of course Uh, thanks I like Uh, (laughs) AJ um should we talk about UCLA you want to talk about that at all yeah well
3: yeah I was I I did want to ask you about that um, how you came to that Um, it's funny because you know I'm teaching a class there now as well, and it's so um, weird. I know, I know. Um, and I was curious, you know, how that came about because I don't think I ever asked you how that came about. But also, you know, you continue to do it. You've been yeah. doing it every year, every year since, and just you know, um, obviously, it must be rewarding to um, to meet those you know the the, the students. Yeah, it's but, great. You know what what sort of um, you know is keeping you. Uh, fueled there and, and bringing you back every year and all that
0: I'm trying to remember how it first started I, I think I did some sort of I think Jeremy Mann asked me to come and do like a one day thing or something and then um, I think that's where it started then he asked me to come back and the idea was to bring in somebody who can bridge um, the, the transition from academia to the professional world and I right. I mean, so few schools have that, which is just crazy because you know, they teach you how to act and then kick you out of the nest and you're on your own, you know. Yeah. And so um the idea was to bring in somebody who's doing it to kinda of say, you know, here's what to expect as you go through the next, you know, um next few months when you get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And um so that's kinda of what we do now is this um ten week class, three hours a week that uh, I work sorry, with just the musical theater actors when when I was teaching you, and then, and then I think a couple of years later they asked me to come in and do the other, the the regular act. What do we call those people? <laughs> <laughs> I never know what to call the. So you're doing uh, both tracks. I'm doing, doing both the tracks. Musical theater track and the acting and, and track. the acting track. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the last time Jeremy and I sat down to figure this out, I think the number then was, and this is about five years ago, that my office had given something like 170 jobs to. The students Bruins, two uh, Bruins. Yeah, yeah. Which wow. Is nuts. Yeah, and now it's way over that. Yeah, way over that. Yeah, it was five years later. Yeah. yeah. So I'm meeting these, you know, I'm meeting the next wave. I'm meeting this these incredibly talented people. UCLA has a great program, and and um, and then I, I now direct the senior showcase, and I bring in you know agents and managers. A lot of the kids get agents, and so it's 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 a really you know helpful transition for them too. So I, I I knew that the undergrads had started doing their own
3: showcase right. like the grad students, and you're directing that. Now? Yeah, wow. Directed it for the last, gosh,
0: four years, five That's years. That's so something.
3: cool. Yeah, it is. It's That's fun. Cool. So uh, I love that you're still, act- still uh still directing. I yeah. don't, I didn't, I don't know that I knew that. I, don't yeah. know that. I knew that you were still directing when you when you had time. That's really cool.
0: I, you know, I love it. Uh, I direct actors all day long, so that. Um, it actually satisfies both sides because I read with actors, as you know, yeah, um, so I get to still act mm mm-hmm. and i also it's a shorthand way of my uh, finding out are you listening, are you gonna hang on to what you're doing and not you know adjust and all those things so um, i find out I find a lot of information quickly by reading with an actor but I also it's also fun for me and then um I get to redirect, so I get to act and direct, yeah, you know which is which is great yeah yeah
3: i, I it's so true, it reminds me of a, a actually a question I wanted to ask you because there are a lot of casting directors that are i don 't know what the word is former actors yeah a lot uh, a yeah. lot of casting directors, and then there are some that that aren't but are still fantastic, and they do a really great job of being able to read you know what the actor is trying to do, being able to redirect them, mm-hmm. and it is sort of this interesting intersection of directing, uh, acting, and you know, you're know you running your own business, obviously, too, right. so there's all this interesting uh, skill sets that you have to have in order to be a successful casting director. I, you may not be able to answer this question, <laughs> because it's not you, but I was wondering if you might be able to speak about what makes a casting director who wasn't a former actor so good at it, you know the good ones because I've been in the room I've been in the room with um, you know I've done like workshops or or whatever where the the cast director actually does you know something like there it's a, it is in fact an educational experience not a paid audition and the and and they're you know giving redirection and and, and it's really insightful right. and and whatever and in between every scene she would turn around to the rest of the class and be like I'm not an actor I, I was never an actor. I, I, you know, sometimes I don't necessarily speak the actories, but mm. I, I, you know, it's just like what I see, and it, mm. you know, almost like she was going off of intuition. Yeah. And I've seen other casting directors who weren't former actors being able to, to do this, and I'm wondering mm. if you
0: have any insight into what that might, where that instinct might be coming I, from. I think you just said it. Intuition, I think, is the word because I think that what we do as a casting director is all about intuition. It's about intuition, and it's about taste um and it's something that i don't know that can be taught i think that you can teach how to you know find out who's the hottest person around you know who's the biggest name in the business right now um you know who's pulling numbers on social media all those things yes you can be taught all that stuff but can you be taught to recognize talent i don't know hmm. i think it's something that um, I feel honestly I feel very blessed that it is something that is intuitive with me and um i 'll get back to this I'll just kind of while i 'm thinking of this it 's like there are so many times over my career that i 've read a script and thought of who it should be, and the likelihood of that happening means that person has to okay first of all like it be available, be interested in whatever the money is, the agent has to approve it, the manager, I mean, down the list. And I cannot tell you how many times that person has ended up in the role.
3: Oh, man. And that wow. means the
0: director approved, the producer. I mean, the, the steps that it has to go through for that to happen are make it almost impossible for that to happen. And, and it's happened many times. So that's something that I don't think can be taught. And I think that somebody who is, hasn't been an actor can still have that can still have that sort of zero in on what this person... Um, what the, the, their intuition is telling them this is what is right for this actor, for this role. Yeah, And I think that um, sometimes that ob- objectivity almost works better for them um, because they're not invested as, you know, somebody who, uh, who thinks back to, oh, I could read this role better. I think that's one of the problems, I think, with some casting writers who are former actors, I think there is, you well, know, they have a little bit of a... A little the ego chip on
3: their shoulders. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, I could have done this role better,
0: you know, there was one casting director who uh, cast himself a few things. I'm like, you know, I really shouldn't be doing that. Uh, but, okay. Um, so, um, yeah, so I think, I think it's something that is just, it's a gift, and uh, I'm grateful for it, and it's hard to explain it to people.
3: Yeah. Well, I can I can it's funny because ironically I can almost corroborate that it is a gift because I don't have it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that I you know sometimes I hear people talk about type, for instance, yeah. and they're like, oh, you know, this person can play that and this person can play that, and I'm like, oh, they're coming across as like this, having this kind of energy, and I'm like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, didn't feel see, it. I didn't see that, I didn't, I didn't, and, and I'm always fascinated by that, um, that ability, that skill set, and so, yeah, I, I would absolutely call it a, a gift or um, a very particular uh, skill set or, or intuition you know, it's also
0: about it's a little bit about manipulation too because sometimes your client doesn't see it and you have to be very careful if you and and those of us who are in casting who are passionate about our careers there are times when you're like no 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 you have to understand that this is the this is the right person for this role and so now we have to figure out how we're going to convince the director and producer mm. of that with. But the manipulation has to be that you have to make them believe that it was their decision. <laughs> so it's like because uh, I learned that lesson really. It's like inception. <laughs> oh man! Early on, there was one person who I—I I mean, this this woman is super talented, amazing, and um, I knew she was the right person for the role. I knew it, and I oversold her. I basically, you know, raved too much. And, of course, she could never match what I had said about her. And so it was like, oh, okay. I really screwed up. Mm. So I basically, I think uh, I lost the role for her. I should have just shut up and let her just demonstrate just how talented she was. So now what I do is, I I mean, it depends on if I have an ongoing relationship with uh, the director. And we have a very close relationship. That's a whole different story. But in somebody who's kind of newish or we're getting to know each other, I don't say a whole lot. When somebody comes in, I'll, mm. I'll maybe a little bit, like, you know, I cast this person and so and so, or you may know this person from such and such, that kind of thing, and yeah. maybe I'll point out a credit or two on their resume, but it's like, you know, it's going to happen in the room or it's not going to happen in the room. If it's something after the actor leaves where they're on the fence, then it's up to me to say, okay, I didn't feel they had a particularly great audition, or you may mm. want to look at this, you know, this part of their reel, or I would consider bringing them back and we'll give them an adjustment, all those things. So, and I think that's something that a a casting director who wasn't an actor can do as well. You know, kind of knows how to handle the room and the clients, that kind of thing. This is, oh man, so many questions now
3: are like filling up my head because now we're talking about the audition process and we're talking about your, your relationship basically political relationship with, you know, these people and like how, you know, in terms of the politics of that, it's like, oh, how much do I push? How much do I not? And, and the lessons you've learned over time, you know, with that. Um, so I want to bring it back on the stuff that we can bring it back to the stuff that we as actors can control Mm -hmm. by asking, it seems like you will either go to the bat, go to, go to the mat for somebody who you, who you feel like is right for the part. Yep. Uh, bring people in and advocate for them either before, during, or after yep. the audition, um, and you know like who is who is talented and who can handle certain parts. What have those people done to earn that from you? Because obviously we can't control what you say mm-hmm. to the producers and to the directors, but what we can control is our performance. Work ethic, maybe how we show up, what we do in the room, whatever it is. How how have those people like earned that from you based on
0: their their work in the room or, or something you've cast them in or, or what have you? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. <clears throat> I mean, uh, I want to know that I can uh, trust you, um, trust that you will deliver, obviously, in, in a situation that I'm recommending you for. So that comes from uh, you have exhibited you know extremely professional behavior. You have, in the past, um, all the things that we want, uh, shown the ability to follow direction, to make specific choices. That's God. That is what it's all about. Everybody make specific choices. I sit through so much general. Um, I don't sit through a lot of crap. We've talked about this. I, I, it's absolutely a myth that we sit through a lot of terrible auditions. That doesn't happen. Maybe through some open calls, perhaps you know. But mostly, what I sit through is sort of, um, yeah, that was perfectly pleasant, and I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I mean, and every time I say this, people think that, that I mean make an outrageous choice. That's not what I mean at all. A specific choice is one that is committed, um, organic and appropriate for you I don't give a shit what anybody else is doing I want to know what you think it should be so people that are willing to do that uh, that are willing to commit to their choices and also then be just as willing to be redirected and let it go are people that are have proven themselves to me and I want to bring them in over and over again so I don't really keep track of how much you booked that's the thing that's interesting for me I could maybe disagree with who they booked yeah, you know, I'm yeah. going to bring in the person who I liked. Yeah. And I'll do that over and over again. And and boy, you get on my good side, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to stay with you because I believe in you. I think there's something that, you know, there's something about you that I find exciting and and we just have to find the right, you know, that right jigsaw puzzle where you're the right size piece to fit in. And yeah. um I think that's one of the mistakes I made it as an actor and I think a lot of people make as an actor. We focus on the audition. It's not the audition, it's the career. Okay? Yeah. So when you come into audition for me, I'm not just thinking about you for this role. I'm deciding, do I like you as an actor, period. You know? And then that's going to bear tremendous fruit, not just whether you got this part or not. Sure, it'd be great if you got this part because it makes my life easier. But if you don't, I'm, you know, I think, you know, where am I going to put this guy at some point? Where am I going to find something because I love this actor? Yeah. And so it's. It's a combination of a lot of things how you are in the room you know when it's not just me too is is very telling you know how do you how do you handle pressure how do you handle when something goes wrong how do you um, how do you conduct yourself like in a musical audition how do you conduct yourself at the piano uh i mean all those things they're all it's a combination of so many things it's not such a simple answer um, do you
3: get um on that note do you get sort of reports from your um, assistants and stuff who are oh, outside of the room oh yeah
0: yeah will tell you right like, now you, this person you like, were rude were... to my assistant you're done Yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding <clears throat> because I was that guy I was the assistant right. in the lobby so right. it's like you know it's like you're done and and I my interns and my assistants and associates are instructed that if there's any issue I need to know about it okay yeah. and I will absolutely reveal that to the team absolutely yeah. it's it's absolutely unforgivable. Yeah. There's you have no right to be rude to anybody in your life number one but but in a professional situation where you're you're coming your audition starts the moment you walk in that mm-hmm. building. Mm-hmm. You know, actually your audition should be well before that. But you know <laughs> what I mean? So you're being certainly judged by um as you walk in. And you don't know who that person is that you're think it's okay to sort of be dismissive. I mean, yeah. I yeah. A, can I tell a story? Uh, Please. Yeah. So years ago, I'm doing this. uh, It was a movie. And um, I happened to walk through my lobby. This is many years ago. I looked looked pretty young at that point. And and, um, in walks an actor, like this is maybe five minutes before his audition time, who is there for a really meaty supporting role, like a second lead in this movie, okay? And kind of like... Clearly looks at me like I'm some peon, and he goes, um, "Are there sides?" I'm like, "Are there sides?" And you're reading for a second lead in the movie in five minutes. I'm like, "Okay, so five minutes later, I brought him in." Yeah, and and you watch the color just drain out of this guy's face as you realize, "Oh, I'm the casting director," you know. And it's like, first of all, you you just you struck out on so many levels there. You know what yeah. I mean? You were rude to me in the lobby. You were, you were dismissive, at least. You told me you weren't prepared whatsoever, okay? And, and then, I mean, uh, how can you possibly expect to get there? What are you doing? Why are you here? Yeah. You should, you should have rescheduled, is what you should have done. You mm. should have just called your agent and lied, said you were sick or whatever, and see if you can get a different appointment. And otherwise, you have no right to be there. You've wasted not only my time, you've wasted your time. Yeah. There was not a chance this is going to happen. I mean, it's different if, you know, if, if I get a call from a manager and says, you know, he got off the set at four o'clock in the morning, he's going to get there, but he's exhausted. I'm okay, fine. Then I'll cut you some slack. Yeah. You know, uh, that shit happens. Yeah. But but otherwise, you know. You
3: were one of the first, I think you were one of the first people ever uh, told me, this was at, um, this was at UCLA. I think we talked about, you asked the class, you're like, should you tell the casting director if you're sick? Yeah. You know, and everybody in the room was like, "No, no. Why would you know? Why would you do that? And you're like, "Absolutely, tell them." Yeah. And um, I I don't necessarily remember that for the 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 idea of you know walking in sick and letting them know. I remember it because it's about like a relationship and a communication and yeah. and being authentic. Right. You know, it's like, look, I you know I I got these last night. Mm-hmm. If it's the sides or. Mm-hmm. I'm a little under the weather. I'm going to try and sing over it, mm-hmm. but just so you know, yeah. or whatever. It's about just, you know, being in communication because... And it's not apologizing. Co- <clears throat> and not apologizing. Right. Just letting you know. Right. Just letting you That's know. That's it. Yeah. Um, we, we sometimes refer to auditions now on the podcast as meetings hmm. because it's an artistic meeting. It's like I've made my choice, my specific choices to use your... Yeah uh, you know, I'm bringing them into the, into the room here and I want to see if they jive with what you were thinking. And right. if you, you know, have some ideas, you're going to give those to me and I'm going to, you know, and so there's a conversation there. So it becomes much less of a, um, a dog and pony show. Like, yeah. let me like do a little song and dance for you. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that we say that, um, uh, when you said uh, it's not, you're not booking the job, you're booking the career, we call it booking the office. Oh, I like that. Yeah, book the
0: office. Yeah, because then, that's what you asked me for, like, well, why do I bring people in again? Because you are, you're sort of in, if you will, with me. You're like, okay, I I love you as a performer, so let's just, you know, and then their actors will say to me, you know, is everything okay? I'm like, what? And they'll go, well, you haven't had me in, like, in six months. And I'll go, really? Because I don't even realize I haven't had you in in six months because... You were somebody, you know, in my weird list in my head that I like, you know, but mm-hmm. it just means it wasn't anything you were right for. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's, you can't even worry about that, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it, that, that's a great way of booking the office. I kind of like that.
3: Hmm. I like that. Steal away. Steal away.
0: Yeah. And the other thing too, is that <coughs> in, within that office, you know, you have people who are somebody's assistant. Well, they're not going to be somebody's assistant forever. So, you're leaving an impression not just with the casting director, but with the other people in that office too. So, I think it's a, it's a good way to, to think about it. Hey,
2: everybody, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed part one of AJ's chat with prolific theater casting director, LA theater casting director Michael Donovan. Um, I, as of this recording, I've not had the opportunity to listen to it yet, or I should take responsibility. I have not made the time to listen to it in advance, but I'm really excited to tune in. Um, because like you said, AJ, we've been trying for a long time to get him on and, uh, it's a real gift, I think, to the community to have someone of his expertise and, uh, and wisdom because he's been at this for a long time, uh, you know, sharing his, his knowledge with the community.
1: Yeah. And he's also, you know, we talk about it in the interview, but he's in a a sort of a teaching mode because that's where we first met. He teaches a class every year at UCLA that's sort of similar to what Ben and I were doing with like the digital actor workshop stuff. It's like filling, plugging the holes where um, they where they don't necessarily get the business side of the business,
2: Mm. you know, Mm -hmm so <clears throat> yeah there's always a need for that man oh, something about the entertainment yeah. industry there's always a need for somebody to explain like the myriad ways to sort of like make it work for yourself cool man so picks of the week we both chose films that were nominated for SAG after a best picture awards so uh let's go through these real fast I haven't seen La La Land yet but you have yes T- tell us why it's
1: the pick of the week Oh, my God. It is such a love letter to artists. Um, it is so beautiful and so, like, inspirational and heartbreaking and really well done and uh, a, a, a sort of a, a classic musical feel in a contemporary context. Uh, so it, it, it feels at once like it could, it's it's a story happening right now, today, 2016, 2017. You know, it could have happened you know, uh, this past year. And at the same time, people are breaking out into song. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, I can't, yeah. I can't even begin to explain like how, uh, a ma- and for somebody who does musical theater too, on top of it, like to, to, to have it work like that. Um, my, the only thing I didn't like about it was I wanted there to be more songs. Y- you know, they, 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 they did such a great job of only using the music when it was, you know, necessary when like putting a big like uh production number here or a or a or a, a moment like a solo here or something like that it was used sort of sparsely in that way and I, and as somebody who's like a fan of you know big book musicals I, I wanted more but even if there was no music in it even if it wasn't a musical the the sentiments in it the uh love letter to artists to to dreamers is i, I you have just if you haven't seen it yet uh, and you're listening to this, just stop listening to this or listen to Trevor's pick as well. And then go. watch <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's, it's one of the digital screeners I got. Um, there's another thing for the union. You get these screeners. That's my favorite part. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of the screeners I got, but it's a digital one. So I have to download it online or, or go, you know, view it via a protected website. But, uh, I'm excited to see it. I've heard only great things. It's so good. It's always it's a good so thing good. when you when you hear that that something is so good, but there's not enough of something in it. It's like that's always a good critique. It's, oh, like, yeah. it's great. I just wish it were longer or there was more yeah. of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited to see it again because it, you know it was such a beautiful. Way- like I saw it on New Year's Eve, and the New Year's Day we started the Artist Way in the in the in the membership, and it mm-hmm. was like it was like this perfect, beautiful one-two punch. I don't know. It was. I'm I'm feeling very inspired as an artist right now.
2: Oh, I love that. Awesome, man. Very, very cool.
1: Yeah. So and your pick of the week is a, is another sag screener. <laughs> yeah,
2: this is one of the DVDs that I got. It's called Manchester by the Sea. It's uh Casey Affleck and Michelle um Williams. Williams, thank you. Uh yeah. and uh gosh, there's a few other people in it. Uh Matthew Broderick's in it for a second. It's written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan, prolific playwright. He wrote uh in our youth which is something I've done a few scenes from a few times. It's just a wonderful, intimate uh, relationship film. Casey Affleck definitely better be in the running for an Oscar for Best Actor for that because he was so... I. It's a rare movie these days. I was actually talking about this on the plane on my way back from Philly. I was sitting next to this guy, and I was watching some movies I had on my laptop, and I watched Room, which... Um, was uh, in you know contention for Oscar stuff last year, and and uh, what's her face Brie Larson won Best Actress for it. And I was watching it, and the dude next to me was like, "Oh, you you know you, you how was that movie?" And I was like, "You know what? It's a it's a rare movie these days that I can watch without sort of picking it apart. I, I, I get so tuned into the process, and I'm looking at the lighting, and I'm watching the acting, and I'm listening to the writing, and I'm watching the directing, and how they cut the movie, and where the soundtrack comes in. And that's just the way I watch movie these days." And it's it's kind of a problem because I find I have a hard time enjoying films. And (laughs) because I just that's what I see. I, I have a hard time like getting swept up in the story. It rarely happens for me anymore. And so so often watching films these days becomes a sort of intellectual exercise and something that's more of a task than anything else. But this film, Manchester by the Sea, was something where I I wasn't watching actors. I was watching people. I wasn't watching a storyline unfold according to the beats of a script. I was watching somebody's life. I was watching flashbacks. I was I was really getting a feel for this town and this situation, and it was just beautifully done. and It's been sitting with me for the past few uh, days since I watched it, so highly recommend it. See it in the theater uh, if you are not a union member and did not get the screener. Um, and if you are good for you check it out it should be in the mail shortly so that is uh, two movies for our listeners to watch this week La La Land and Manchester by the Sea watch them love them be inspired that is all the time we have for episode 262 anything to add before we get out of here nah man all right. All right. let's roll
1: uh, today's episode <laughs> of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by me AJ Meyer and of course Trevor Algat Jan Levin is our pr- production coordinator. Fidali Gubrick is our marketing web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. And Fern Lim designed our logo.
2: You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes over at our website, InsideActing.net. Also, find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. And if you do nothing else, a nice review on iTunes would be a lovely thing you could do for us and for the community. It's a lot like uh, giving us a tip, and it helps other people find the show. And trust that uh, it's worth their ear time as well. So go ahead and hop over to iTunes and give us a nice review if you enjoy what we're doing.
1: Ear time is important. Ear time is important. A special thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2Gogo.com, the award winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. You can visit vo 2 slash start for a free Getting Started in Voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. And who doesn't want to do that? Make money in your pajamas. That's VO, the number two, slash start. And of course, thanks to you our listeners for sticking out another year another year another season 2017 here we come you can support the show in a myriad ways with a financial contribution a favorable review on itunes we just uh, talked about retweets and, and you know kind public words word of mouth is huge that's how our podcast has grown to where it is today and of course by subscribing to our newsletter um which is going to uh take another uh is it an evolution if we've already done it before? It's going to be its going to growing. We're, g- we're going back to something we used to do with the newsletter. Um, so get subscribed there uh, and visit insideacting.net to get started in all those different ways. Uh, a big, huge thank you to all of you who have supported the show thus far. And a big, huge thank you to those of you who are considering doing so. You can also... Make a one-time, no-strings-attached tax-deductible contribution. To support the podcast via PayPal, Square, or Venmo, just visit InsideActing.net slash contribute. Or you can sign up as a member for just 7 bucks a month. Get access to our private member message board, invites to exclusive events, fun freebies, special bonus content, and much, much more. That's all at InsideActing.net click on the membership tab to learn more
2: and that does it for episode 262 of inside acting first episode of 2017 what what season 14 thank you guys for listening really excited to be going into this year with you and all of the possibilities that lay ahead for all of us we'll see you next week and in the meantime mood follows action